Welcome to the Overcoming Adversity podcast, where it's all about a transformational growth and having a resilient mindset. You know, there's over 10,000 cults in the United States. Today's guest is Mr. Peter Young. He's an author and also someone that had that experience and had to go through that transformation. He's here to tell us about his story, and I can't wait for us to get into it. Let's go. Welcome to the show, Peter, man. Thank you so much for joining me today, man. Thanks, Michael, for having me. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. So we spoke backstage, and now you're here on the show. You wrote a book called Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger. And I was fascinated by this title, and I really wanted to know more about this. And then I read a little bit deeper, and it was about a man that was part of a cult, and he had to go through lots of changes, lots of transformation. And I thought that story was super, super intriguing because some people may go through lots of things in life and not even know what they're being a part of or what they're joining. And you're here to tell us about it. So if you can, man, let's expound on your story, man, and uh, what kind of uh, things you've been through in your life through the situation, man. Sure. So I, I always tell people, you never know you are in a cult. You only know you were in one. And yeah, I, I was in a cult. And I uh, I remember growing up as a kid, back east in New Jersey, you know, and I'm old enough to remember uh, Jim Jones and Jonestown and, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid and then David Koresh and Heaven's Gate and all this stuff. And so we often think of cults as, you know, this crazy stuff that might end in suicide or has, you know, physical violence, sexual abuse, et cetera. And, you know, we didn't really look like a cult. Our little group was very small and I unwittingly married it. So 26 years ago, married the love of my life. And she had what was described to me by a friend was as this, as the weird family guru. She talked about him all the time. And so I had to meet him before we got married. And he was called Uncle Robert. And he wasn't an uncle. He wasn't related to anybody. You know, I'm six foot five, you know, Northern European looks. My former wife, Paige, again, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes. And Uncle Robert was a guy that was, you know, short, bald, olive complexion, born and raised in Syria. But he had developed a relationship, a very dominant, you know, cult-like relationship with Paige's parents, my in-laws, before she was even born. So she grew up in a world where he was uh, the end-all, who he was the uh, ultimate authority on everything. And I remember meeting him. I thought, well, okay, you know, he's a little odd and charismatic, but harmless. And so then we got married and you know, five kids. But um, I was wrong, obviously. So over the years, he, he just took over our lives. He took over our marriage, took over our family. And then eventually destroyed it. You know, I, I'm now divorced and our family really got broken up and my faith got challenged. And so for many years, Michael, I was skeptical of the guy. I thought, really? Come on. And wanted nothing to do with him. But then over time, you know, I just kind of got worn out. And I went along to get along with my wife to try and save my marriage. And uh, then eventually I was, you know, and I'm, I'm encompassing or encapsulating 20 years here. And right. um and then eventually I just kind of got worn out, beaten up, worn down. And I thought, okay, fine. You know, and I believed him. And for about two and a half, three years, I was brainwashed. And then, you know, when she left, because I was never, I still had questions. I was never fully vested in Uncle Robert to the point of where I could think for myself. Barely, right. I could. And that was never good enough for her. So then she left me, started telling the kids, again, we have five, that I was 
the devil, Satan, sorcerer, sperm donor, bloodline, you name it. Wow. It was really bad, and I was a wreck, but I recovered. So when many people think of cults, right, they think of something along religion, something around politics, and you name it, right? As I mentioned, there's over 10,000 cults that, um, that are identified within the United States, I would say. So can you go a little bit deeper in regards to being indoctrinated or being married into this? And what were some things that you had to experience? What were some things that you had to go through? And what were some things that you were questioning knowing that you grew up on another side of the world and that all, all of a sudden I was experiencing this? So again, you're right. Cults come in all different shapes and sizes, but at their core, at their foundation, Michael, they are undue mind control, coercive, manipulative mind control. And then it goes out from there. So again, we didn't have any physical violence, any sexual violence that I know of uh, in our little cult, which again was like 12 people or less. Some cults are pretty small. Ours was small. Uh, but again, it, it all revolved around Uncle Robert. And cult leaders, again, could look and sound differently, but they all share similar traits. Charismatic, narcissistic, grandiose sense of self, gatekeeper to God. They make all the rules, but they don't apply to them. And then they try and destroy the nuclear family so that everybody reveres this person as the dad, the father, whatever, which is exactly what Uncle Robert did. So wow. some I could regale you with stories for hours, but I'll just share a few. When I first met my future father-in-law, you know, he told me that I needed to sit down to pee in his house because that's what the men do, because Uncle Robert taught us that, because it's, you know, it's cleaner. And I would hear Uncle Robert taught me that over and over again for the next 20 years. He considered casinos the true churches in America. And so all the churches that we would go to on Sunday were a waste of time. At the casinos were the true churches because anybody could go in there and be blessed by the Lord. Well, I go to a casino, you know, people want to have fun. That's fine. But I see people worshiping money, not God, uh -huh. <laughs> you know. And then he also called it his office. You know, he felt like he was doing, you know, his business in the casino. So he called it his office. He felt all of recorded history was a uh, Jewish conspiracy to take over the world, to control Christians, dating back to Genesis and the struggle between Jacob and Esau, where Jacob becomes greater Christendom and Esau becomes Edom, which becomes modern Jewry. Uh -huh. So again, everything was Jewish conspiracy. And I would ask questions and like, well, okay, I'm trying to have an open mind here. Where's the proof to this? You know, and the answers from cult leaders are usually never an answer, but they're more of a why are you so stupid, Peter? Why can't you understand what I've been sharing with you over and over again? Because you're not supposed to question the cult leader. So yeah, there were times early on in my marriage, Michael, I thought this was absolutely crazy. I remember when he, when I first found out about his anti-Semitism, it was about a year after 9-11. Uh -huh. And I had friends who were widowed that day because I grew, you know, grew up in Jersey. I had friends in the building. And I remember thinking when he told me this, you know, President Roosevelt was a Jew and Truman was a Jew and 80,000 people died, died that day. I was stunned. And I thought we shouldn't have anything to do with them. But my wife wasn't about to, you know, leave them. So I didn't pursue it. I didn't push it like I should have. And um, it just kept getting worse. So I have a couple of questions I want to follow up with uh, Peter, man, because this is so profound. So. Growing up in New Jersey, I'm going to assume you grew up in New Jersey, either mom, dad, or grew up with a family and friends and things like that. Yep. So I, I want to understand what was like your family foundation like 
And what was that, did any of that contributed for you to join um, or be with this woman and stuff like that? And did anybody in your family that gave you any sort of foundation or anything like that said, um, you may not want to do this? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm uh, born and raised in New Jersey to Christian parents who are still alive, 89 and 87. Youngest of five boys. We went to church every Sunday, which doesn't make you a believer, but we did go to church, went to summer camps. I did accept Christ as my savior when I was about 13. And, you know, whatever you want to call, surrendered your life, accepted the Lord, whatever. There was a moment where I realized I was a sinner and I professed, yes, I believe in Jesus. Right. And, um, you know, and again, now that having so much water under the bridge, because this was later attacked by Uncle Robert, this conversion of mine. You know, think about the thief on the cross. You know, he didn't go to a Bible study. He didn't tie. He didn't sing worship songs. He didn't join a church. He believed in Christ, right? That's it. You just have to believe. So I believed, and uh, which, you know, my upbringing kind of makes it so surprising. Why would I get sucked into this? Mm -hmm. um, and yes, Uncle Robert felt like he knew the Bible better than anybody. He knew the true gospel. Um, now, there are some things that Uncle Robert shared. And his real name is Robert Booty, but... I called him Uncle Robert for 20 years. It's just hard to get out of the habit. Um, he, um, the, the point is that he didn't start sharing lies and, and utter nonsense right away. Cult leaders don't lure you in by doing that. They share what sounds good at first. Okay, And he would read to us from the Bible. But then as the years went on, little by little, he would then put his own little unique perverse twist on every single Bible verse. So the 5, 10, 15 years down the road, we were nowhere near the gospel. But it was so subtle. It took so long. It was I was blind to it. Wow. Okay, so you wrote this book. Can you share with us what's inside of the book? What readers should get, and uh, where can they find the book as well? So you can find the book on Amazon. It's called "Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger." The title. I'm not going to give it away because it's a fascinating story. Uh, but it basically has to do with, uh, there was a dream that Paige, my future wife, was given, I believe, by the Lord. And it was very prophetic because, you know, 23, 24 years later now, I can look back and say, yep, that's exactly what the dream meant. It's pretty obvious. Anybody could figure it out. But Uncle Robert was able to turn it on its head. And instead of Paige being warned, like I think the dream was, to say, listen, this guy's not who you think he is. And you can be free of him. Uh, Uncle Robert turned it on its head and was even more in control of Paige's mind, heart, and soul. And that really kind of set up our marriage uh, for failure, unfortunately. Because as long as he had that role in her life of the authority figure, our marriage is doomed. So, yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's a fascinating tale of, you know, slowly getting sucked into this cult and then uh, the, the horrific time of of getting out of it, it wasn't so much that I tried to get out, I was more kicked out of it because I didn't want the divorce. I didn't want to leave. I thought Uncle Robert was right. It was all my fault and I was wrong and Paige was right and I was wrong. And and my friends and family, because you would ask this, you know, they're around the country, mostly on the coast, and I live in Montana. They kind of knew about Uncle Robert. He was there at my wedding. They kind of knew of him, but, you know, didn't know uh, casinos were churches, didn't know Jews were out to control the world. They didn't know any of that. Because cults control their members through secrecy, paranoia, and isolation. So we kind of circle the wagons. We didn't share Uncle Robert and his ideas. We hid him. <laughs> because, of course, well, Uncle Robert's too brilliant. Robert Booty's too brilliant. You know, Peter, your family wouldn't understand. Don't throw your pearls before the swine. 
So we kept it secret. And of course, the Jews were listening in on all of our phone calls, right? Of course they were. Oh, yeah. So thus we're in danger and we're paranoid. And only Uncle Robert could save us. So now we're isolated in our little enclave in Idaho and Montana. And now we're totally isolated from my family, from other churchgoers. And that's really one of the key takeaways is that when you become isolated, that's when you become vulnerable to a, a charlatan, a false prophet, a, a guru. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you met your wife. I know that you say like they're not going to show any signs initially because they're going to try to lure you in and things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, once you got in with your wife and you guys started dating and you guys got married and then you got into this, at any particular moment or any time while you guys were together and you guys are having kids and things like that, did you ever like try to speak to her or saying like, this ain't right. We need the normal people do not live like this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Is the answer to that. I remember talking to her before I had met Robert. So her Paige's older brother got married. I went to the wedding, met Robert, Thought, okay, you know, he's weird, but we're fine. And then we got engaged, you know, weeks later, married three months later. But I remember telling her, like, listen, it's not about him because I didn't met the guy yet. I'm like, what's really weird is the way you and your family talk about him, right? Like, it was really weird. And so we were talking about this, but I was so in love with this woman. And um, she was, you know, at the time, wonderful. And I thought we had the best marriage ever. I was the best husband ever. She was the best wife ever. We were setting the bar for all time, right? And, and at that point, Uncle Robert's role in our marriage was minimal. Then every year just kept going up and up and up. The big moment for me, now there are plenty of moments where I thought, really? I gotta sit down to pee? Like, really? You know, you're going to a casino, all this stuff. And there's more. Uh, but the big moment for me was what I spoke about earlier when we would have these conferences in Northern Idaho at my in-laws. And the conference was basically Robert, who lived in Southern California. He didn't live with us. So we didn't live in a commune. He would come up and we would sit and listen to this guy talk for like three days or two days in a row. And he would just go on and on and on. And it was crazy. And uh, so at one of these, he started talking about 9-11. And then I'm, you know, and I had Jewish friends going up. Like in my wedding, my college buddy was Jewish. He was in my wedding. I was in his wedding. And I'm like, I guarantee you, you know, my buddy Dan has no idea what Robert's talking about with this Jewish conspiracy. And it unnerved me. Like I thought, this is scary. And the way he talked about it. And, um, and I remember telling Paige that night, like, I don't think we should have anything to do with this guy. And, and she was concerned. She listened, but obviously didn't believe me because she and her parents and her another brother, the rest of her family was shunned, um, believed everything he said, everything mm -hmm. he said. I finally did for about two years, but it took a long time to finally beat me down. How did this trickle down to like now your kids? You said you guys had five kids. Yeah. And this was obviously a trickle down effect affecting yep. your kids as the dad and your experiencing this can you talk a little bit how that affected you and oh, with yeah. the household man yeah well as i said i think at the top of the show that cult leaders uh will attack the nuclear family because the nuclear family is a threat anything that diminishes the power and authority of the cult leader is a threat so it could be another church could be family whatever so you know there was really four generations affected by this so my in-laws because of Robert Booty, he's been around in their family since the 70s. 
and had, you know, brainwashed and controlled them, you know, when, when Paige and her siblings were young. She was one of five as well. My former in-laws broke off contact or had very strained relations with their parents. So that would be great-grandparents. Right. And, you know, my in-laws. And then Paige and I. And then our kids were all affected by this. So when when Uncle Robert supposedly finally convinced you know, my in-laws that they were not Christians, which he did to everybody, Paige, me, all of us. You know, you were not saved until he saved you. Then they started calling him dad. And they're all about the same age in the 70s. So my in-laws would call him dad. We would call him Uncle Robert. And then my kids started calling him Grandpa Bob. But then it got worse. So when, when Paige left me, um, she started teaching the kids that, you know, you're your dad is not really the true father. He's he's a sperm donor. He's a bloodline. In addition right. to being a devil and a liar and a sorcerer, all that. So here's what the plan was. So the plan was to erase my role as father. So then my children, instead of seeing me as their true father and just a, uh, instead of blood donor and a, uh, a sperm donor bloodline, they would then see Uncle Robert as their true father. That was the goal. The goal was to erase my role as father. Michael, it gets worse. About two years before she left me, uh, this will show you the control he had over Paige. Uncle Robert, or Grandpa Bob, whatever one name you wanted to call the guy, had sons but no grandsons. So he had two sons, and then they had they got married and they had daughters, but no sons. So Paige was so distraught that Uncle Robert's precious bloodline was not going to continue on of course this incredible legacy of you know saving the world and spreading the true gospel at around age 40 she wanted to be a surrogate and provide a male grandson for Robert Booty and I I was stunned and angry did not want to go along with it of course Uncle Robert thought it was a great idea thankfully it never happened but it was the idea of like well you know what happens if you have a girl are you going to keep trying? She's like, yeah, I don't care if I have five girls. I'm going to keep going until the Lord will bless us and give Uncle Robert a grandson. This so, you know, what? It's, at one point, his bloodline is precious, right? Priceless and precious and must be preserved. And then two years later, oh, I'm just a, I'm just a dirty bloodline that needs to be forgotten. Anyway, it was horrible. Unreal, man. Unreal. Okay. So at some particular moment, at some point in your life, you said enough is enough. And you kind of uh, elaborated that they said they wanted you out as well, too. Yep. So can you talk a little bit about this particular transformation and how did your true faith and your true belief led to this transformation for yourself? Yeah. So she would have left me in January of 2017. And, and you know, I should say, too, you know, I was completely faithful our entire marriage. So was she. There was never any violence. I think I raised my voice at her twice. Absolutely adored and loved this woman, did not want the divorce, but I just wasn't pure enough. I was not right. devoted enough to Uncle Robert. So then she left. And uh, so I was still, you know, brainwashed at the time. Four months passed before I finally told my family, my parents, my brothers and sister-in-laws that, you know, my wife had left me and taken some of the kids with her. And then I finally told people my at work and my community nine months later. So I kept it all hidden because I was told to by Paige. <laughs> And I didn't want to, you know, disobey her because I was totally beaten down, emasculated, a shell of myself. But then as I finally started sharing my story <clears throat> with my family and I would send emails. So I get emails from Paige and Robert because she had moved back to Idaho. I'm still in Montana. And they were hard. You know, I couldn't sleep. I'd lost 30 pounds. I was a wreck. Never suicidal, but absolute wreck. 
Well, they saw these emails right away for what they were. They were horrendous. So they became alarmed right away. They helped me. And through my faith, through my friends, through my family, it took, Michael, it took a year before I really realized, um, yeah, this is wrong. Uncle Robert is not who he says he is. This is evil. This is wicked. And I need to stand up for myself and for my kids. It took a year. And I was only brainwashed for like two and a half, three years. And it took a year for me to finally get on my feet mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. I'd never lost my salvation. Uh, my faith had been severely tested and challenged. I had doubted it, but I'd never lost it. Um, I was saved on the cross 2,000 years ago, and no guru or cult leader can take that away. And I finally realized that. And uh, when I finally started having sane, sound voices in my head to combat the craziness of Robert, it slowly turned. So there was never one moment, but there were several where I would finally read an email and think, Ooh, like that's not right, you know, from Robert or Pace. That's mm -hmm. that's not right, you know. But it took someone else to help me see it. So that goes back to that point where, when you become isolated, for instance, if I cut off my finger, I'm not going to die. My finger will die, but I won't. When you become isolated, that's when you become susceptible. Yeah. Once I started bringing other voices into my life, then I recovered. During that year. What was it that your faith was revealing? What was God revealing to you throughout that entire year? Because I know that was a journey and I know that was a process. In addition to that, you just gave your life to this woman and you was with this woman all of a sudden, now that she's not a part of your life. Now your family is separated and broken, meaning your kids and things like that. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about what was un unfolding for you? What was, what was God revealing and showing you throughout that entire process because like you said, you know, you're feeling that you are a shell of yourself and now you're coming back to who Peter should be, who Peter was, that sort of thing. So I believe the most wicked thing that Robert did, the most wicked part of his theology and ideology, but there's a, there's a lot of it that's wicked. And the way I've thought about it now and the way I would describe it is he switched the order of sanctification and salvation, right? So we know that salvation is a gift. You can't earn it. It's a gift. You just accept it, right? And once you're saved, then you're sanctified. You Like you're born again. So you learn, you grow in your faith. You can't switch the order. And anybody who's trying to switch the order is trying to get you to do and say and think certain things to earn your salvation. Now you're ready to be saved. The Bible talks about it, you know, how Christ is the gate, right? We have to go through the gate to get into the sheepfold and be one of his. Or we climb in over the fence, right? Well, that's not the way to do it. Well, Uncle Robert set himself up as an extra gate. You had to get approved by him, which, of course, I never was. He kept raising the bar for my salvation. Well, Peter, you didn't know this. You didn't do that. Look how horrible you are. And I believed him. Then as I went through this year of having help with friends and family, and by the way, this whole time I'm praying to the Lord, like on the one hand, I know I'm saved. I know it. And yet I had this crazy man's voice in my head. And then it dawned on me that, yes, you know, I was saved. I can't earn it. It's a free gift. And in my story, what it illustrates is that, you know, I'm no better than the next guy. I am a very flawed, imperfect human in need of a perfect savior. Even after I've been saved, I'm still imperfect in need of a perfect savior every single day. Absolutely. So Absolutely. your story is a cautionary tale. 
And for a listener that's listening that may either be in the same situation or have a family or friend that possibly could be in that situation, what are some advice or some things that you could identify or you could point out and lend towards our listener that's listening right now, man? Sure. So uh, my story illustrates a few things. Number one, that cults are there. They're real. And people think, well, it'll never happen to me. Fine, whatever. I'm here to tell you it could happen to anybody. Number one, it could happen to anybody. Number two, they can easily hide within society. Like I was a sports broadcaster during a lot of this time. I would travel around the world calling games for ESPN3 and OLN and Versus and NBC Sports, you name it. Nobody knew. Nobody had any idea. People at my work had no idea. And yet I would show up with red puffy eyes and I was had lost 30 pounds after she'd left me. They had no idea what was going on in my life. So cults can hide easily. They don't always look really obvious and stand out like a sore thumb. The biggest red flag, Michael, is if you have a friend that you think, uh-oh, you know, they might be falling prey to this, would be when contact gets broken off. So they stop showing up to church, Bible study, bowling league, book club, you name it, right? They stop emailing, they stop calling, they stop writing. And then they have all kinds of praise and no questions are allowed for a new person in their life. They'll never call them a guru, but it's a new pastor, a business leader, a consultant, whatever you have it, right? Those are red flags. Again, doesn't mean they're in a cult. But remember, if they are, they don't know it. Mm. It's always something else. It's no, Peter, you wouldn't, Mike, you don't understand. It's not a cult. It's better, fill in the blank, right? They don't understand. You have to take the first step and ask the difficult questions and stay in contact and communication with that loved one. Something important stuck out to me, man. And I want you to touch a little bit on once you got through this situation that you was in, how important is it to have a mind of your own? And how important is it to have people that around you that actually really support you, actually loves you and want to see like the best for you? Well, that's a great question. I would say first and foremost, um, as a Christian, I believe you need to be steeped in the word. You have to read the word. And, and you know, we have no intermediary between us and God, right? And I had allowed that. I had allowed Uncle Robert and Paige, really, to be kind of like the intermediary where I would look to them first rather than just pray, Lord, show me what to do. Lord, I'm really confused. Could you give me wisdom, please? Right? Like it says in James chapter one, ask for wisdom and believe he'll give it to you. Yes, so if you have anybody in, in your life that's acting that way, that is a red flag. But it, it's it's so subtle, too, because I remember, Michael, um, thinking early on that, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a mentor, right? Like Uncle Robert was just a mentor to my in-laws and Paige. All right. Well, it, it was worse than that. Mentors are fine. Pastors are fine. Parents are fine. Like I say, with our marriage, we had Uncle Robert in the middle rather than Christ and no parent or child, or anybody should get in between the two, right? They can help from the outside to support the marriage or whatever relationship it is, but they should never get in between the two. I don't know if that answers your question. Yes. Okay. So when it comes to where you're at now with your faith and your belief and being a man of God, can you speak towards now what you're doing in regards to advocating for people that could be in possible situations like this 
or how to not even get into situations like this now? So I share my story as a cautionary tale. Um, I think of Romans 8, 28, you know, you can, the Lord can use anything that we mess up in our lives for good. Listen, I've been through this. It was horrible. And, and if one person out there can be spared going in and out of a cult, which is not fun, then it's worth it. Um, I've had a lot of people reach out to me having read my book and maybe weren't in a cult, but were in an abusive situation. And I want to point out, too, that there was another book I read was very good called Uncultured by Daniela Young. Michael, you should read it. She's former military. Uncultured. In a horrible uh, cult overseas, sexual abuse, you name it. Gets back to America and recovers and then joins the army. And so, like, you know, day number two or three at, like, you know, Paris Island or wherever it was, you know, she's running in the heat. People are screaming at her. And she thinks to herself, did I just join another cult? And through the book, what she comes to say, which I believe is there's a difference between a true cult and an abusive, dysfunctional culture. Some cultures, right, are not good. Doesn't mean they're in a cult, okay? But it could still be, could still be bad. Mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes we, we banter around that word cult uh, a, a bit too much. Yeah, I've, I've heard different saying and different stories around what a cult is and stuff like that. That's why I, I was happy to have you come on the um, show, because some people could tie to um, their faith or churches or things like that. Some people could tie to the military and things that go on with that. You know what I mean? Some people tie to uh, terrorism and to terrorists that's out there and stuff like that. Right. So that's why I wanted to hear your perspective and your story in regards to what was your situation like. And, and, and again, I will say that the, the key is, um, you know, being grounded in the word. So the analogy I gave is, is if you miss hit a golf ball by like this much, I don't even play golf. I always miss hit a golf ball, right? But if you miss hit a golf ball by this much, 100 yards down the fairway, it's way off to the left, way off to the right. Well, continuing the analogy, Uncle Robert would tee up the right golf ball. He would read the word of God. But then every verse, like I said, every scripture, he would twist it and pervert it until it was way off, nowhere near the true gospel. So it can be very subtle. But we as believers really need to be grounded in, you know, true wisdom and true faith. And sometimes, Michael, my story illustrates this. It, 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 that takes, I don't want to say it takes a village. It takes the body of believers. It takes fellowship. And I'm sure if I had been honest with other people and, and had told them, you know, oh, yeah, you know, Uncle Robert believes, you know, the Jews are out to take over the world. Oh, yeah, we're going to the casino. It's the true church. <laughs> My other friends would have been like, uh, Peter, can we sit down over a cup of coffee and talk about this, please? And, uh, you know, I maybe I would have been spared this. I don't know. I heard something and I thought about it. If I was in this situation and not knowing what I was getting into, understanding the, how you, you shared um, how people could get into this, right? Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, what are some strategies that someone could put in place to get out of these situations? Because I could imagine someone in that situation as you're sharing it, right? There's fear, there's doubt, there's shame there's the fear of being vulnerable and you're still going out into this world and you're still going to the grocery store you're still going to work you're still dealing with people but you're kind of a shell of yourself what are some strategies man that people could take away from you man and put into place and start taking action 
in regards to just finding their way out of this situation, man, because it sounds like mentally it could be daunting. Well, yeah, mentally it's almost like a living hell. So cult leaders will create in their followers the fear and the doubt, just like Robert did with me. You know, about that last year or so, you know, I was afraid of my shadow. I was afraid of everything. And that's on purpose because then they will supposedly provide the cure for your fear and doubt. So they become then further elevated in your mind. Thus, you need this person. Like I thought I needed to talk to Uncle Robert when Paige left me not realizing he was the problem. Oh. And remember as well that the person who is in it, who has their mind controlled, doesn't know it. So it's the people, the loved ones in their life. And, and honestly, I don't know how you do this. This could look a million different ways, but you really have to get that person separated from the cult members and the cult guru. Now, for me, I was kind of kicked out. So I was you know, separated because they left me. But if you see someone and, and you recognize this, you have to somehow... You know, just be able to spend time with that person. You, you go away for a, a vacation or something to where that person is alone, does not have the guru or other people to then help support him. No, 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 don't listen to them. You know, they're they're the devil. They're the swine. They don't know. You know, our cult leader can explain it. When you get the person alone, then there might hopefully be just a little bit of a flicker of a flame left, right? Where you could say, come on, really? Doesn't this sound kind of crazy? Mm-hmm. And eventually it will sound crazy to them only if they're separated from all the other members and wherever that looks. So for you now, Peter, now you're, you're a divorced man, but you did have a wife and you did have kids. Can you talk a little bit, man? Like how is life now for you? Are you in a better space and how's your relationship with your family? So I am a million times stronger now than I was, uh, during this, um, horrific time. I don't look to a guru or a spouse or anybody else for wisdom. I look to the Lord. And I don't say this arrogantly because it's not me, but I know the Lord has given me wisdom because he promises it in James chapter one. I've asked and I believe and I know he's given it to me. And I ask for strength and patience every day. So I'm stronger. I wish I could have learned this lesson another way. <laughs> I wish I could have become stronger, um, easier, <laughs> but that's not the way life works, right? Sometimes uh, to gain strength, we have to go through hard times. And I have. Thank the Lord I've come out of it. Uh, my relationship with my kids is kind of a work in progress. We have five. Uh, the courts intervened at a certain point, sent the three youngest back to me because they saw right away. Uh, cults are emotionally abusive to kids. There was severe parental alienation. So the three youngest lived with me for a while. The two are still with me. Um, and I'm not a perfect dad. And I do my best and I try and make sure that I point the kids towards the Lord, that they would see that he is the ultimate authority of truth and love and grace and justice, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but being a dad's a marathon, not a sprint. And um, I'm 55 and I've got kids ranging from, you know, uh, preteen to mid twenties and I'll always love them and I'll always be there for them. And that's one thing about cults and cult members is they shun people. If you don't agree with the cult leader, family members get shunned. So there was a lot of Paige's family that got shunned over Uncle Robert. And hopefully my kids know that, you know, I, listen, I make mistakes every day, but um, I'll always love them and I'll always be there for them. So there are challenges even, you know, every day. It's, it's hard being a single dad, but um, I know this is what the Lord has called me to do. Absolutely, man. So for our listeners that's listening, 
and heard your story, which was so impactful and definitely an eye opener for myself, man. What are some key takeaways and some key lessons that you can share with our audiences? Sure. I'll give you three. Again, and I've touched on all three of them. Number one, um, a married couple should have Christ in the middle. No one else, no child, no parent, no pastor, nobody else. They could all help from the outside and should. Uh, number two, salvation comes before sanctification. You can't switch the order. And if anybody does, they're trying to act as a gatekeeper to God. Salvation is a gift. We don't earn it. And then number three, you have to maintain fellowship. And this is whatever fellowship looks like to you as a Christian. That means to me, a body of believers. But even if it's Friday night bowling with a beer with your buddies, you have to maintain fellowship. And in this post-COVID world, don't let yourself become isolated. Then you are vulnerable. Absolutely. Thank you for that, man. So, Peter, if anybody wanted to work with you, book you on their podcast, or pick up a copy of your book. Where can I get a hold of you? Yeah, so you can go to my website, uh, authorpeteryoung.com, or you can email me, authorpeteryoung at gmail.com. Uh, and my, my books, I've got two. They're on Amazon. So Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tigers, the Amazon best-selling memoir. I also wrote a novel called The Blue Team, which is about faith and basketball. And I'm currently working on the sequel. And um, that should hopefully be out next year. Sounds good, man. Sounds good, man. So thank you so much for being on the show. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here. I know that being transparent and being vulnerable is something that not many people want to do or even step up and do this sort of thing. So I applaud you for doing that. I just thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story, man. Yeah, thanks, Michael. It's been a great talk. I appreciate it very much. Absolutely. Guys, if you like this episode, just leave a comment and leave a message. We'd love to hear your um, feedback. Also, make sure you like and subscribe to the channel. Until next time, we drop episodes weekly. God bless. Thank you. Can't complain at all. Couple dollars in my pocket, no income and go. Been working on my body, getting healthier. Thank God for clarity.